Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. All right. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, It is great to be back home with you again this morning. Uh, I want to just uh, begin by saying thanks to Kyle and Kobe, our co-student ministers, for doing such a fantastic job (laughs) preaching God's Word the past couple of Sundays. I know you were blessed by God through Kyle and Kobe and their sermons from God. It is exciting to see and to know what God is doing in our student ministry. It's exciting to see and know all that God is doing in our entire church family. I am fired up about all God has planned for us uh, in this new year. So open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start here in Acts chapter 1. We'll move around a little bit, but Acts chapter 1 will be the base passage that we'll move from. God's vision for our church family is to glorify God as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ as we make disciples of all nations. God's vision for our church family is taken from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We know a vision isn't worth much unless there's a mission to accomplish it, and we accomplish this vision from God for our church family by giving, growing, and going. We glorify God by giving ourselves, our time, our talents, our treasures to God each day. We become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ as we grow in our faith in Christ, in our understanding of God's Word, and in our obedience to God's Word. And we make disciples of all nations as we go to those near to us and those far from us with the good news of the gospel. As Christ followers, we live our lives in 3D. We live up as we give to Jesus, we live in as we grow in Jesus, and we live out as we go for Jesus. And we reap God's blessings, as you can attest, as we fulfill God's vision. And Luke shared with us about this amazing church in Jerusalem years and years ago, starting in Acts chapter 1. The members of this church family in Jerusalem were giving, growing, and going. God's vision for this church years ago is similar to his vision for our church family today. So we can learn a lot from the example of these believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, years ago in this first church in Jerusalem. So we're going to begin with Luke, the author of the book of Acts, in chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke wrote these words. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the first narrative that Luke is referring to here is his gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote about the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus in his gospel. Luke wrote about the ascension of Jesus, and the start and spread of this first church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And so we continue now moving down to verse 8. Luke continues and he wrote these words, but you will receive power, the Lord Jesus sharing with his disciples and followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When God saves us, as most of us know, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is clear to us. When God saves us, he places his Holy Spirit in us. 
And so when we respond to God's grace by our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes residence in us. The Holy Spirit of God empowers us to live for Jesus and love like Jesus. And so Jesus had shared with these believers, his disciples and followers, before his ascension back into heaven, that God was going to send another counselor. As he ascended into heaven, God would send another counselor to be with them forever. And so Jesus, before his ascension here in the book of Acts, told these disciples and followers of his, stay in Jerusalem and wait for God to send his Holy Spirit to you. So the disciples and followers of Jesus, as we read through Acts chapter 1, obeyed Jesus. They stayed in Jerusalem, and they waited for God to send the Holy Spirit to them. They prayed and prayed and prayed while they waited, and they also made one decision. They selected Matthias to replace Judas in the 12 disciples in that period of time in Jerusalem. Now, this was all happening during the time of and around Pentecost. Pentecost was the second of the three annual feasts of the Jews that they celebrated each year. Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after the Passover celebration, and it celebrated the end of the grain harvest. And so these disciples and followers of Jesus were waiting in Jerusalem, and God did exactly what he said he would do. God fulfilled the words of Jesus to these disciples and followers. God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in the believers, the disciples and the followers of Jesus at that time in Jerusalem. These believers, these disciples and followers, filled with the Spirit of God, spoke in tongues. Tongues here in Acts 1 and 2, and at the early part of the book of Acts, throughout most of the book of Acts, is in the plural. It's in the plural. That's significant. Tongues is in the plural, and that means known languages. The tongues that we read about here were known languages, tongues in the plural. We know, due to Pentecost, many Jews had gathered in Jerusalem for this feast, this festival, this celebration, from all over the Mediterranean world. We also know that there were Gentiles living in and around Jerusalem at this time. And so God, by his Spirit, gave his disciples and followers the ability to speak in tongues or the known languages of the different people groups gathered there in Jerusalem so that these people groups, all of these peoples that had gathered in Jerusalem for this celebration of Pentecost could hear the good news of the gospel in their language and so understanding the gospel in their language, they could then make a decision and respond by faith to Jesus Christ. The supernatural ability to speak in tongues or known languages was necessary for these believers to go and make disciples of all nations. It's very difficult, next to impossible, to make disciples of all nations if you can't communicate with the people of all nations. And so God took care of that here as we read about. And so Peter also at this time preached the first sermon here in Jerusalem. He stood up and he preached the first sermon in Jerusalem because Peter wanted everyone gathered together there in Jerusalem to know that God was at work in their midst. And that God had given them the ability to speak in the languages of all the groups of people, the different languages represented by the groups of people that had gathered in Jerusalem. And Peter wanted these folks to understand the reason God had given this gift of languages to his disciples and followers was because God loved the people gathered in Jerusalem and God wanted to have a relationship with them. 
And so he gave this gift to his disciples and followers so that could be fulfilled. And so Peter stood up and he's preaching this sermon. We pick up in chapter 2 in verse 22 as Luke records Peter preaching and teaching here in Jerusalem. And he said, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Let's read that together, beginning with, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Again, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. What a praise for you and me today. We continue to jump down to verse 32. God raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. So Peter preached Jesus Christ crucified, risen, exalted, and the only way into a relationship with God. It was the only way into a relationship with God. Peter actually said, listen, we've seen Christ arisen and exalted. We're all witnesses. And so many people, get this now, many people who were there gathered in Jerusalem who heard God speak through Peter in this first sermon were convicted by God. And many of the people responded to Peter and the disciples with a simple question, brothers, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responded, that's the question every pastor, minister, follower of Jesus Christ would long to hear. Have someone say to us, what must I do to be saved? Well, what a softball question that is. What an exciting question that is. And Peter jumped on it. And he said, repent, repent. And that one word encapsulated the gospel. Repent, admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus Christ, God's son, your savior. Believe Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for your sins. Confess your sin to God. Receive God's gift of salvation by God's grace through your faith in Jesus Christ. Peter said, repent and be baptized by immersion in accordance and obedience to the commands of Jesus. And so we pick back up in verse 41, and we see in verse 41, so those who accepted his message, so those who accepted Peter's message, Accepted is the key word. So those who accepted his message, you want to underline in there? The underlying word is accepted. So those who accepted his message, those who accepted God's gift of salvation by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus, those who repented of their sin, they turned from living their way, and they turned to live God's way. Those who believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who trusted Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection for their forgiveness of sins, those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ, those who accepted his message, were baptized. They followed salvation with obedience and baptism. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Did you see that? 3,000 people. What an altar call that was. 3,000 people were added to the church in Jerusalem on that day. Now, this addition was on top of what Luke told us in chapter 1, which was about 120 disciples and followers of Jesus gathered there in Jerusalem. And so we see this church in Jerusalem explode by the power of God. Here, reading right before our eyes. And then Luke followed this amazing account up by giving us a summary. He gave us a summary of what God was doing in this church in Jerusalem, in the members of this church in Jerusalem at the end of chapter 2. Look with me in verse 42. 
He said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, Luke said, every day, don't miss this, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What day? Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want us this morning and over the next Sunday or two to identify some commitments that we see here in and at work in this church family in Jerusalem. And I want us to identify these commitments because God wants us to make and or renew these commitments individually and collectively so that we can continue living his way today, this week, and in this new year. For some of us, as we look at these commitments, they're going to be commitments that we need to make. Quite simply, they're going to be commitments that we need to make because it will help us to take that next step of growth in our relationship with the Father. For others, these are going to be commitments that we need to renew. Maybe commitments that, that we've allowed to, to, to slip out of the forefront of our minds and commitments that we need to renew and maybe even increase in this new year as we strive and long and look forward to living God's way. Remember, as Luke reminded us in Acts chapter 1, we live God's way by God's power. If you're writing notes, write that down. We live God's way by God's power. We live God's way by God's power. We can't live God's way in our power. We can't live God's way according to our wisdom. We're going to fail. We live God's way by God's power. That's throughout the scriptures. That's why God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. He empowers us to live God's way. We live God's way by God's power. So what about these commitments? These commitments help us live God's way by God's power. These commitments that we're going to identify, that we're going to look at, help us live God's way by God's power, which I would think every one of us would say, yes, we want to live God's way by God's power. And so these commitments will help us do just that today, this week, and in this new year. And so let's look here in this passage. We'll begin, and we're going to be focusing in on verses 42 through 47. The commitments are all here, right here in the midst of what uh, Luke shared with us that God was doing in this amazing church in Jerusalem. I believe uh, God's doing amazing work in our church family. I believe there are similar things that are being done in our church family. I believe the testimony of this church in these verses 42 through 47 can also be shared with what God is doing here in our church family. And so I'm excited to share these commitments because these commitments are for our good and for God's glory. Therefore, others gain as they interact with us. We can't go wrong making these commitments. We can't go wrong renewing these commitments in our lives as we continue growing in our relationship with our Almighty God. So the first commitment is be biblical. The first commitment we see is we need to be biblical. Luke said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They consistently, continually, daily, steadfastly, devoted, committed, gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. This means they continued in, they endured in, they persevered in the apostles' teaching. The apostles were preaching and teaching God's word. The apostles were called equipped, commissioned, and empowered by God to share God's word with God's people in God's strength for God's glory. The apostles were called by God. They were equipped by God. They were commissioned by God. They were empowered by God to share God's words with God's people in God's strength for God's glory. Now, the apostles, we know, here is he refers to the devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles included the 12 disciples as well as Paul, who we'll get to know later in the book of Acts. But shortly after, God 
saved Paul, known as Saul, prior to his uh, name change to Paul. God saved Paul on the Damascus Road. We know that story in Acts chapter 9. Shortly after he saved Paul by his grace through faith in Christ Jesus on the Damascus Road, the Lord said of Paul, Paul is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Israelites. And so we know and understand these apostles, uniquely gifted and called by God to share God's message with God's people, included the Apostle Paul that we are introduced to later on in the book of Acts. So we know and understand the first thing, notice, the first thing the apostles did in this new church in Jerusalem is they preached and they taught the Word of God by the power of God at work in them. The first thing the apostles did in this new church is they began preaching and teaching God's Word by God's power. The first thing these new believers did in this first church in Jerusalem, this new church in Jerusalem, the first thing these new believers did was they sat under the preaching and teaching of God's word by God's apostles. They were sitting under the preaching and teaching of the word. Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, the apostles were sharing God's word, helping these folks understand the Old Testament, helping them understand all that they had seen and heard through Jesus in his life and his ministry, his resurrection. They were listening to the word of God taught through the apostles. The preaching and teaching of God's word was central to God's church. And we see it here testified in Acts, but also all the way through the New Testament. The preaching and teaching of God's word is central to God's church today. It is still central for you and for me. God's charge to pastors then, back in these days, is still God's charge to pastors today. And it's real simple, it's real clear, it's real easy to understand. Preach the word. Preach the word. That's God's charge to God's pastors. It was, it is, it will always be. Preach the word. My responsibility as pastor is to preach the word. It's to rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. That's my responsibility is to preach the word. My responsibility is not to come up on a week-in and week-out basis and give you a motivational talk and then add a scripture here or there at a certain point, usually towards the end, and then call it a sermon and send you on your way. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is not to come up here week in and week out and teach you some principles about how to become wealthy and wise and how to be leaders and how to be great businessmen and women, though those things are important. But that's not my responsibility is to come and give you instruction on how to make a whole lot of money and then send you on your way week in and week out. My responsibility is to preach the word. It's to preach the word, it's to preach the word, it's to preach the word. And my responsibility next week will be to preach the word. And my responsibility in February will be preach the word. And my responsibility in June will be preach the word. My responsibility next year will be preach the word. As long as the Lord gives me life and breath and continues to use me as his spokesman to his people and his strength for his glory, my responsibility is to preach the word. It's to preach it. And I understand that that responsibility requires sacrifice. It requires study. It requires dependence. It requires prayer. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires love. It requires continually growing in my faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And I am very clear and understand that as I preach the word, I come like you and I look forward to hearing what God has to say. I hope you look forward to hearing what God has to say when you gather together. I'm pretty sure you probably do or you wouldn't be here. But I look forward like you do to hearing what God has to say to us. Every time we gather together, 
And I trust and know that as I preach the word, the Holy Spirit of God is then going to motivate. He's going to encourage. He's going to challenge. He's going to comfort. He's going to cheer. He's going to convict. He's going to bless. He's going to strengthen. He's going to comfort. He's going to ultimately change each of us to be more like Jesus. And that happens as we preach the word. And so we see here in the New Testament church, as it started in Jerusalem and then spread out from Jerusalem, these principles, these commitments were continued in the churches as the church spread out into the Roman world and as it continues to spread out today all around the world as we see the church continuing to expand and grow. And so a question I want us to look at is why is it important to be biblical? Why is it important for us to be biblical? I think it's important for us to understand and realize why it's important to be biblical. There's many reasons, there's many answers that we can look at from the Word of God uh, to this question. I just want us to look at a few. Uh, There's reasons that we need to just remind ourselves to renew uh, our, our understanding of some of these reasons that it's important to be biblical. The first is instruction. The first reason it's important to be biblical is instruction. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God has placed his doctrine, his instruction, his teaching, his truth in his word. God's word helps us to know how to think. God's word helps us to know what to think, what to stop, what to change, what to start, so that we will be complete, mature in our faith in Christ, ready for every good work. God's word helps us to know God, the creator of the universe. God's word helps us to know God's truth for our lives. God's word helps us to know God's will for our lives. God's word helps us to know what to think, how to think, how to live God's way. The more we know this word, the more we know God. And we know it's important for us to remind ourselves once again today that God's instruction is meant to be applied in our lives. God wants us to live what we learn from his word. As James said, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. God's word doesn't just inform us. It does that. But God's word transforms us. God wants us to put his word into practice in our lives. When we gather together on a week-in and week-out basis, when we gather in our life teams, when we gather around the Word of God in our own time with the Father throughout the week, each day, each morning, each afternoon, each evening, whatever that time is for you, as we gather around the Word, God speaks to us by His Spirit through the Word, and He wants us to put His Word into practice in our lives. And it's such a blessing for us to be able to do just that. As we walk in the Word, we are blessed by God. And we see it here Because Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17, God makes us complete through the teaching of his word so that we will be equipped for every good work. What does that mean? It means this, as we see throughout the New Testament, God does not save us by our good works, but he saves us for good works. And he wants us to take his truth as he downloads it into our lives by his spirit in us, and he wants us to put it into action in our day-to-day lives. This word should make a difference in our lives. It's meant to be lived out. And so we understand our doctrine determines our duty. Our beliefs determine our behavior. Think about it. Our convictions determine our conduct. You know this as well as I do. My doctrine determines my duty. My beliefs determine my behavior. My convictions determine my conduct, and the same is true for you. The good news is we get our doctrine, we get our beliefs, and we get our convictions from the Word of God, and then we live it out. As Paul 
encouraged us here to be biblical. Why? For instruction. I love what, what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, in chapter 4 in verses 2 and 3. He said this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. You hearing this? This was a couple thousand years ago. This was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. I think that time has come. But according to their own desires, people will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. This is why it's so important to be biblical. For the instruction that we so desperately need from God by his spirit through his word into our lives. Sound doctrine helps us to recognize and resist false doctrine. You know this. Sound doctrine helps us to recognize and resist false doctrine. Sound doctrine is right here in the Word of God. God's Word is full of His sound doctrine, His instruction, His teaching, His truth for our lives. So the more we know this Word, the more we are filled up with the sound doctrine from God, the better we are at recognizing and resisting false doctrine. American Banking Association shared uh, years ago that one of the ways they train their tellers to spot a fake or a counterfeit dollar bill is not by studying the counterfeit or fake dollar bill. It's by holding on to and handling and taking care of those genuine dollar bills. The more they hold and spend time with those genuine dollar bills, the quicker and easier it is for them to spot a fake when it comes into their hands. And the more time we spend in the Word of God, the more we are filled with His sound doctrine for our lives, which allows us to be quicker and better able when we hear false doctrine, people say, no, that's, that's not in accordance with the Word of God. And we're able to continue walking in obedience to the Word. So the first reason is instruction. A second is guidance. The psalmist said, your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path in Psalm 119 verse 105. God's Word leads us in God's way. So we know and understand God's word leads us to live wisely, not unwisely. God's word leads us to make the most of the time and opportunities God has given us because the days are evil. God's word leads us to be filled with the spirit, not to be drunk on wine. God's word leads us to be holy as God, the one who called us, is holy. God's word leads us to live out God's way. Live out in obedience to the truth of God's word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you, God. And so we know and understand God's guidance comes equipped with God's protection. As we get in the word, as we make the commitment, as we renew our commitment to be biblical, we do it because of instruction, we do it for guidance, and we know and understand God's guidance will always lead to God's protection. God's word guides us to say no to sin and yes to the Savior. God's word guides us to say no to the world and things of the world. God's word guides us to say no to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride in our possessions. God's word guides us to take God's escape route out of temptation every time temptation knocks on the door of our lives. God's word guides us to confess our sins to God, knowing that God is faithful, God is just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse and purify us from all our unrighteousness. God's Holy Spirit, who lives with us, takes God's word, and he guides us to live God's way. It's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be biblical, for us to be spending time in this word together on Sunday mornings, in our life teams that kick back off this afternoon, in our own time uh, with the word and with the Lord throughout the week, in our midweek activities. It's so important for us to be biblical, to get in the word. It gives us instruction. It gives us guidance. A third is encouragement. A third is encouragement. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction. Therefore, again, affirming instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. 
These scriptures encourage us to live God's way. But even better than that, these, encourage, these scriptures encourage us as we live God's way. These scriptures encourage us to encourage one another to live God's way. These scriptures encourage us to encourage one another as one another lives God's way. The stories, God's truth, the men and women in this word encourage us. As we get in this word, not only are we guided, not only are we instructed, but we're encouraged. And this is great news for us because we all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need encouragement because we face a battle within. This is the first battle we face. This is the most challenging battle we face. It's the battle within. We know as followers of Christ, though we've been saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ, we still have a battle going on inside us with the sinful desires that wage war against our soul, as Peter taught us in 1 Peter chapter 2. So we know and understand that our first battle on a day-by-day basis is within ourselves. We are prone to walk away from God and sin against God in selfishness. And so we need encouragement from this word to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down to the right hand of the throne of God. We need encouragement from these scriptures to consider him who endured opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. We need encouragement from these scriptures so that we can set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And that encouragement for you and for me from the word of God comes as we get in this word on a day-by-day basis. I mean, there are times, I know you would understand this as well. I know this has happened to you. There are times when we're reading through the scriptures and whatever daily devotion guide we're using, whatever area of the word we're in, and as we're reading along and as we're praying and we're asking God by his spirit to speak to us, to give us what we need for today, what we need for that meeting, what we need for that conversation, what we need for that relationship, we'll come across the scripture and we may have read that scripture five, 10, 100 times before, but it'll jump out at us and it'll grab a hold of us like we've never seen it before. And it'll bring us to our knees in worship of our almighty God that he would use this word to speak to us in such a personal way, in such a powerful way, in such a practical way that he would give us a word even at times where we don't even know what we need to pray about. We don't even know what we're facing, what's to come, and God will give us a word as we're being biblical, as we're spending that time with him. He'll give us a word, and as we get to that circumstance or situation or that relationship later on in the day, we will immediately think back and go, wow, that's why. That's why you downloaded that truth to me. That's why I needed that word. God, thank you. Thank you. See, we need encouragement, and God pours his encouragement to you and to me out in his word. But as Christ followers, not only need encouragement because we face the battle within, but we need encouragement because we face the battle without. Face the battle with circumstances that are unfair, circumstances that are unwanted, that crash into our lives. And we know and understand that God doesn't promise us a life of ease when we come to Christ. It's quite the opposite. We step into the battle. We step into the ring when we come to faith in Christ. But he does promise us he's with us always to the end of the age. And he promises he'll always be there for us, taking care of us. He promises that all things work together for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose. He promises us that nothing or no one will be able to separate us from his love for us in Christ Jesus. And so we know in those moments when we're battling with the circumstances in life that we don't like, that we don't understand, we receive encouragement from the word of God for that battle without. Because we can't control our circumstances, but as many have said before, we know we certainly can control how we respond to them. But then we also face that battle without. And we know and understand, scripture is real clear, Because I think it was clear because we need God's word to be clear to us. God knows us best, and so he knows he has to make his truth clear to us. But I think he also makes this truth clear to us because we we get it uh, wrong so often, and that is simply this. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not with one another. Our battle is not with those who don't agree with us. Our battle is not with those 
who ridicule us. Our battle is not with those who persecute us. Our battle is not with those who do not believe as we believe, who do not live as we live. Our battle is not with them. Our battle is with Satan, his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan is the liar, the father of lies. Satan is the tempter. Satan is the accuser of you and me. Satan is our adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for any of us that he can devour. Satan's whole goal on a day-by-day basis, moment-by-moment, step-by-step, is to convince us by his lies to listen to and believe his lies rather than God's truth, which makes no sense when we hear it and think about it, especially in a moment like this. It doesn't make any sense, but that's his goal. He's really good. He's really good at deception. He's really good using circumstances and the words of other people that hurt us to convince us that our battle is against flesh and blood. It is against others because he knows that leads us to destruction. And so we are reminded once again, as we get in the word of God, that we fight from victory, not for victory, because we've already won the victory in Christ Jesus. And so God's word encourages us to walk in our victory in Jesus. God's word encourages us to stand firm in our faith in Jesus. God's word encourages us to depend on Jesus. God's word encourages us to remain in Jesus, and he will remain in us and be able to bear much fruit. God's word encourages us to look forward to the return of Jesus. God's word encourages us to point others to Jesus by sharing the good news of the gospel with them. So we receive instruction and guidance and encouragement, but then we also know another blessing that we receive from being biblical, getting in God's word, is transformation. It's transformation. Paul shared this with us in Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to discern what is a good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, here's something that we all know and understand. God doesn't want us to become more like the world. He doesn't want us to become more like this world that is living in rebellion against him and opposition to him. He doesn't want that. Therefore, God doesn't want us to sit under the teaching and the philosophies and the beliefs and the messages and the lifestyles of this world, of those who are living in rebellion against God and opposition to God, because then we will be conformed to the image of the world. No, God wants us to be conformed to Jesus Christ. He wants us to become more like Christ. He doesn't want us to become more like the world. He wants us to become more like Christ. And so Paul shared, do not be conformed to this age, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed is a present passive imperative. Imperative means command. So be transformed is a command to you and to me as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Be transformed. It's in the present tense. That means we're to be transformed day by day by day by day, moment by moment, step by step. So it's a present passive imperative. Imperative is command. Present tense means that Being transformed is to happen on a day-by-day basis all through the day. Now get a hold of this. It's in the passive voice. This is the key. What does that mean? It means God does the work. The active voice means we are the one actively doing it. This is in the passive voice. This command is in the passive voice. That means God does the work. That means God is the one who transforms us because we can't transform ourselves. I can't make myself more like Jesus. I don't have a chance. You don't either. We can't transform ourselves. We can't change ourselves. We can't make ourselves more like Jesus. When Paul commanded us to be transformed, he understood and he said, this is a command that's happened day by day, but you are to be transformed by God. He's the one doing the transformation in your life. God transforms us each day as we surrender ourselves to him. God transforms us as we renew our commitment to be biblical, as we get into this word, as we read this word on a day-by-day basis. God transforms us by his spirit in us, by renewing and renovating our minds, that means our thinking so that we can see life and ourselves and others God's way. And he renovates and reforms and he renews our minds, our thinking by his word. So God, by his spirit in us, 
renews and renovates our thinking by his word so that we can see ourselves and see others and see life God's way so that we can discern, understand, and know his good, pleasing, and perfect will for us. This is amazing. This is exciting. What does it mean? It means this. As we get in God's word each day, as we discipline ourselves to be biblical, as we renew this commitment, as we make this commitment, as we increase this commitment this new year, as we get in God's word, as we sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word, God by his spirit in us is doing the work of transformation in our lives. He's making us more like Jesus. He's renewing our minds and our thinking according to his word, whether we recognize it or see it or understand it or not. He's doing it. He's doing it. That's why it's so important for us as parents to have our kids in church. That's why it's important. That's why the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You better believe we're going to be in church. You better believe it. Why? Because in a church where the word of God is spoken, I don't care where the child's at. Spiritually, what I do know according to the word of God is when that child is sitting under the word of God, whether they want to hear it or not, whether they're trying to be distracted or not, whether they're being resistant or not, guess what? God, who is sovereign, is working by his spirit in their lives, and he's renovating and reforming their minds by the truth of his word. And whether they want it and whether they recognize they're receiving it, they're getting it. They're getting it. And so are we. There are times when we get to the Word and we go through. And listen, there are times when we're walking with the Lord and we're going through our daily lives. And, and man, it's kind of dry. Man, we get in that season, it's kind of dry. And we're, we're doing our daily devotions and we, we feel good about that. We know we need to get with the Father. And we're, we're reading the Word at the times that it may be dry. Maybe certain stances are going on in our lives. And yet, even in those moments, we still know. We still know. Almighty God, it continues reforming us, renewing us, transforming us, making us more like Christ. You see, God, by his spirit in us, uses his word. God's word is his primary tool that he uses to make us fully devoted followers, disciples, servants, witnesses of Jesus. And so it's so important for us to be in the word. I can remember so often when I was younger, my parents uh, drug me to church. Man, I didn't have a choice. Uh, they didn't give me a choice. Every time the doors were open, I was there. Whether I wanted to be there or not, uh, whether I liked it or not, some days I did, some days I didn't. Uh, but I know as I was in church Sunday after Wednesday after Sunday after Wednesday, any and every time, I can testify uh, that the word was poured And in my life, I, I didn't even know it. Faithful men and women of God sharing God's truth. Faithful preachers and pastors pouring his truth out Sunday after Sunday, whether I wanted to hear it or not, whether I wanted to do it or not. God was just making deposits in my mind. And later, later, as God drew me to himself, as God began transforming that, that work of transformation continued through my life and, and got me to where he wanted me. And it, all that truth, it never left. It was there. And then as I got into the word, more passionately, with more discipline, it just came alive. And I was able to understand that the power of God's transformation, he renews our minds. The importance of sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word cannot be underestimated. Cannot be underestimated. Jesus himself told us this. The end of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 7, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded against that house. But it didn't collapse because the foundation was built on the rock. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded against that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. You see, what's the one thing that we know is going to happen? The rain's going to fall, the rivers are going to rise, and the wind's going to blow and pound against our lives. That's going to happen. The question is, what kind of foundation are we building? Where is our foundation? God's Word is a sure, stable, solid, secure foundation for our lives. You know, one of the greatest, one of the most important, one of the most encouraging statements you can hear from a pastor in their sermon. I'll just give you a hint. One of the most comforting, one of the most encouraging, one of the most important statements that you can hear from a pastor during their sermon is real simple. Open your Bibles with me too. And then they fill in the passage. Because what that lets you know is we're going right to the Word. We're going to go to the Word, and hopefully and prayerfully, that statement is at the beginning of the sermon, and you stay in the Word till the end. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, God wants us to read His Word, to study His Word, to memorize His Word, to obey His Word, so that we can then share His Word with those He places around us. Being biblical is best for us and all those God places around us. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. I know as God is speaking to us, even now through his truth, he wants us to respond to him, to respond as he's pouring his truth into our lives. He wants us to respond and he always wants us to respond in obedience. And one of the other good positive benefits of being biblical is it always focuses in on the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ for you and me. You see, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners and that our sin separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do to get rid of our sin and get to God on our own. The Bible tells us real clearly that what we deserve is justice from God. And justice from God because of our sin against God, which separates us from God, means that we deserve to be eternally separated from God in the very real place called hell. But God, rich in mercy, grace, and love, sent his son Jesus to rescue us from our sins. Jesus came to this earth to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived a perfect life. He met God's requirement for a perfect sacrifice to be made so that we who are imperfect could be made right with a perfect God through the perfect sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. He died on that cross of Calvary. He was buried in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again, walked out of the tomb alive, victorious over sin and death for you and for me. We don't worship a dead man. We worship the risen and exalted Savior, King Jesus. And each of us now, because of Jesus and his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection for us, we have an opportunity to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with God by responding to God's grace that was responsible for it all through our faith and trust in Jesus. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. They would love to pray with you if you have a need, care, concern. They would love to encourage you they would love to introduce you to Jesus this morning. If you desire this relationship with the Lord, then you can make your way to these prayer partners. I'll be seeing you at the front. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. We would love to celebrate new life with you this morning. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Listen, that's what God encourages us in his word as well as just to pray with and for one another. The altar is open as it always is. Maybe you want to come with a brother or sister in Christ, husband or wife, and just pray. Just cry out to the Father and ask God to help you to renew this commitment to his word, to increase your commitment to his word this day, this week, in this new year. God is speaking. Let's respond to him this morning. Let's stand and say yes to the Father.